0: This is Second Look, I'm Bob Levicki, WMRA's news director. I'm grateful for your company on this Sunday afternoon. Finally, feels like autumn outside. Much to cover in the next half hour from the week in the news, including the visit to JMU by former House Majority Leader Eric Cantor. WMRA's Christopher Clymer Kurtz was there. And the Guatemalan refugee seeking sanctuary at a Methodist church in Charlottesville. That story from Marguerite Gallerini. And a preview of a meeting of a criminal justice board in Harrisonburg and a march by reform advocates in advance of that meeting tomorrow evening. Plus, in case you couldn't make last week's books and brews, you missed a good one. we'll hear from our featured author, William Giroux, about the Matthews men in World War II. It's his conversation with WMRA's Chris Boros. And in a report from Virginia Public Radio, the effect that GOP Senate candidate Corey Stewart could be having on Republican voter turnout and how that may affect competitive House races in our area. But first, the cool October weather might really be getting you in the mood for a good Halloween scare. It's the season for haunted houses and chills and frights. WMRE's Christopher Clymer Kurtz talked with some area scare providers and a note of caution you will hear some scary sounds in his report.
1: People who like to scare other people aren't necessarily scary. I think people assume that like oh you must really like haunted movies I was like no I don't watch them. They don't appeal to me. I really like comedy. (laughs) That's Ritter Clevenger. He lives at the end of Ott Street in Harrisonburg. Where on trick-or-treat nights since 2007, he and his family have put on their own neighborhood haunt.
2: People really like the chainsaw. It it just scares them enough. Now a couple times you jump out and you pull the chainsaw and it doesn't fire. And then,
1: you know, you get pulled again and you pull it again then it finally fires. And that, that loses its effect. So it has to be running really good, the chainsaw. This is the Clevengers' first year's empty nesters, so they're not sure they'll set up again this year. But as a kid, Ritter always enjoyed fun scares. A lot of people are
2: just happy afterwards. It just makes them happy.
1: There are lots of reasons and opportunities to observe the season. Spirits of New Market is a seven-station lantern tour at the New Market battlefield in which historians will portray people whose lives were impacted there. That's on October 27. A week before that, on October 20, there's the Zombie Run for Brains to benefit Brain Injury Connections of the Shenandoah Valley, during which runners try to avoid being infected by the zombies who chase them through the grounds of Fear Forest, on what used to be a dairy farm near Harrisonburg. Setup preparations for Fear Forest's 13th season have faced rain delays, but are underway. Co owner Brandy Nesselrode said there's something satisfying about scaring people.
3: If you can brave the cold weather that we sometimes have during the month of October, you know, a good scare kind of makes you all warm and fuzzy inside. <laughs> so it's kind of a sense of accomplishment, especially when, I don't know, as a girl scare, when I scare somebody who's a really big, strapping guy and, and you see them cower or throw their girlfriend in front of them to save them. I. I you know, it's just, it's kind of funny and it, it makes you feel good that, that you did a good job.
1: <laughs> she calls it good, clean, fun.
3: We're a very family oriented haunt. We don't recommend it for children under 12, but we do kind of a more G-rated show. We have some blood and guts and gore, but um, as far as that goes, we try to be really careful about the scenes that we do. Friends, come out, come
1: out, wherever you are! There are haunted houses, too, in the region. You're hearing sounds from a walkthrough at Darkwood Manor in Luray. Later this month, Darkwood is hosting a special guest, R.A. Mihailov.
4: I am best known for playing Leatherface in the movie Leatherface, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3. Uh Uh-huh. You've heard of Texas Chainsaw Massacre.
1: I've only heard of it. It sounds horrifying.
4: I gotta tell you, Christopher, you're a rare bird. <laughs> and I realize not everybody's a fan, but usually people, you know, have a, some kind of familiarity with the series.
1: When you come to Darkwood Manor,
5: yeah. nasty one inside. You want to see
1: it? are you going to be continuing the Leatherface persona? I am
4: going to be Darkwood Manor's ambassador of good chills. <laughs> In other words, I'm, I'm there to meet and greet.
1: So you're not, you're not going to be scaring people so much when you're here.
4: Oh, yes, I will. Uh, just by the look of me. I'm not, I'm not, the, prettiest, <laughs> not the prettiest spoon in the, in the drawer. <laughs>
1: when he was a kid, he said he loved horror movies.
4: I've always been big, you know, bigger than everybody else, generally speaking. You know, sometimes felt maybe like a, a little odd man out, you know, and that's what the horror, you know, Frankenstein, he's kind of a pathetic character in a way. Even though he's a big killing monster, he's also kind of sad, you know? Oh,
1: God. <laughs> Mihailov said he doesn't know the psychology of horror fandom, but for himself...
4: I just like the visceral stuff, man. My criteria for a movie is to have explosions, uh, gunfire, bloodletting, <laughs> and other things that I suppose we can't say in the family station. You know, car chases and stuff like that.
1: If being scared is too frightening, or you have younger kids, there are other seasonal options.
0: We found that the Wizard of Oz is one of the more popular designs that we have had other than Charlie Brown.
1: (laughs) On a rainy afternoon just north of Harrisonburg, I stopped by back home on the farm where Lynn Hess told me about their five acre Wizard of Oz corn maze. They have a game for their maze goers,
0: Mazeopoly. We'll do an Oz weekend where we've added additional clues so that if they get all of those, then we do free things in the country store, that type of thing. I think even I could handle that. And when he wasn't exploring all those tricks and treats, Christopher also took time to attend a talk by former House Majority Leader Eric Cantor last Monday at James Madison University. It was part of their Democracy in Peril forum, and Cantor talked to about 75 people, many of them students, about current trends in politics as he sees them.
1: Eric Cantor was a delegate in the Virginia General Assembly for a decade, then spent 13 years in the U.S. House of Representatives, including four years as House Majority Leader. After losing his 2014 primary race, he resigned from Congress and became a world-traveling vice chairman of an investment bank. He said before his talk that while there is, quote, stress being put on the institutions of our democracy, democracy is not in peril. He pointed to last week's confirmation of Brett Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court. You saw the other justices there at his
5: swearing in. I think that is absolutely a signal that we have our institution of the courts and judiciary intact. He spoke about
1: topics including the impact of social and online media on current polarization and repeated President Obama's famous words to him back in 2009.
5: Eric, elections have consequences and I won, so we're going to do it my way.
1: Such disregard for compromise with the Republican minority then, said Cantor, helped set the stage for the current polarization and radicalization in public debate. What needs to happen, he said, is for lawmakers to avoid identity politics, to take off their team jerseys and talk about the issues at hand. That message resonated, said Virginia Delegate Republican Tony Wilt afterward.
4: We can disagree on policy, and maybe that disagreement causes both of us to come back and negotiate on that policy. How can we make that policy better? The next Democracy in
1: Peril event will feature Dedrick Asante Muhammad, a senior fellow for the Racial Wealth Divide Initiative at Prosperity Now, at 5 o'clock on October 29. For WMRA News, I'm Christopher Klemer Kurtz.
0: Also on Monday, a news conference in Charlottesville that WMRA's Marguerite Gallerini attended. It was an unusual one. Maria Chavalan is from a persecuted ethnic group in Guatemala. She fled to the U.S. in 2015. Now ICE is pressuring her to buy a ticket back to Guatemala, but she's pleading her case in court and seeking sanctuary in a church in Charlottesville.
3: Maria Chavalan is not alone. That was the rallying cry yesterday at the Wesley Memorial United Methodist Church in Charlottesville, where she asked for sanctuary. Indeed, ICE has ordered her to go back to Guatemala without even giving her a chance to claim asylum. Here's her attorney, Alina Kilpatrick, explaining the situation. Maria did not receive notice of her court date. She actually has a really good case for asylum. But she hasn't been able to present that case for asylum because ICE neglected to put a date and time on her notice to appear, as is required by law. We are here because of the legislated racism that is the Immigration and Nationality Act. I am here to stand up to this administration and do everything I can within the law and fight them and lob at them everything possible until Maria and all of my other clients are safe and free. This press conference took place yesterday on Columbus Day. Maria Chevalan, through the help of translator Flor Lopez, said a few words as well. Yo no me siento inmigrante de mi continente. I don't feel like an immigrant in my own continent. Sí, porque mis ancestros son de este continente. All my ancestors are from this continent. Sí. Hace muchos años. Many years ago? Pues cuando vinieron los emigrantes de otros lados. When the colonizers came from other places? Nosotros, we, les dimos la bienvenida. We received them and welcomed them. So I came here to the United States because I was not feeling safe in my country. For WMRA News, I'm Marguerite Gallerini.
0: The Harrisonburg-Rockingham Community Criminal Justice Board is meeting tomorrow evening and several local groups are joining together for a March for Criminal Justice Reform That will end at that meeting. Christopher Clymer Kurtz has that story.
1: Monday night's meeting of the Community Criminal Justice Board, or CCJB, is about increasing efficiency in criminal justice, said Chairman Bill Kiger.
2: My intent with this meeting is to revisit the idea again of criminal
0: justice planning and how we can mine data and then utilize data to make better decisions.
1: The criminal justice planner from the Charlottesville area and the justice program manager at the National Association of Counties will speak.
0: The reality is I think we're looking at the point that we can't continue to afford the system that we have
2: the way we're doing it. So let's look at a better way that we can spend our dollars.
1: Faith in Action, the Northeast Neighborhood Association, and the Valley Justice Coalition have called for community members to join them in a walk to that meeting in support of reforms. Faith in Action President Jennifer Davis-Sensnig describes their goals.
3: Eliminating the dollar a day, keep fee in our local jail, hiring a community justice planner, and screening all juvenile cases for restorative justice process.
1: The march from the corner of High and Market Streets is at 6 p.m. And the public CCJB meeting in JMU's Memorial Hall is at 7. For WMRA News, I'm Christopher Klemmer-Kurtz.
0: Some history now, in case you missed last week's Books and Brews. Families in Matthews, Virginia, sacrificed much during World War II and many men from the town were sent to help with the war effort. Author William Giroux chronicles the heroic story of one Matthews family whose seven merchant mariner sons suddenly found themselves in the crosshairs of Hitler's U-boats. He spoke with WMRA's Chris Boros about how some of the Matthews men survived when the odds were against them.
2: The Matthews men were a group of merchant sea captains, and they were sailing them in World War II in particular when they were just getting savaged by um, German U-boats, which were sent over here to this side of the Atlantic to destroy merchant ships. They hauled all the cargo, you know, all the ammunition, the tanks, the planes. Hitler, the U-boats, were determined to stop them. That was their main job. And most of these ships were older. They were defenseless. They were slow. They were uh, really sitting ducks.
5: Talk a little bit about the family of Captain Jesse and Henrietta Hodges and their seven sons. That's a big portion of your book, right?
2: They are one of many families in Little Matthews County that was very heavily involved in the U.S. Merchant Marine. And the Hodges in particular had a a father, the patriarch of the family, Captain Jesse Hodges, who was a tough old tugboat captain. He had seven sons, and all of those sons would go on to become captains of merchant ships. At one point during the war, a lot of these brothers were out sailing. Together, they went everywhere. They experienced pretty much everything. Everybody in Matthews knew somebody, either had a family member or a close friend who was on one of these ships that was being attacked. And a lot of quite a number of them in Matthews were killed. And the ones who didn't had these kind of hair-raising survival stories with sharks and fires and rough seas and things like that.
5: Have you been to Matthews?
2: Yeah, yeah, I've spent a great deal of time in Matthews. And Matthews is a very small place. When I started working on it, I went there, somebody gave me a name, and I went to talk to a guy. And I would always ask guys or or women when I talked to them, I'd say, you know anybody else around here who is involved in this story, and they'd invariably they would say, oh yeah, go down to the end of the creek here and talk to Bessie. You know, her father was killed by a U-boat.
5: What about during the war? Like, did they know that this was happening? Did they know that people were being sent out to, to deal with this?
2: They knew better than most people in the country did, because most of the country was focused on the, the warships.
5: They must have been in a lot of danger, not just from the U-boats.
2: No, I mean, they would be going to sea, of course, was dangerous but they were also attacked by bombers, and there was a lot of things to be concerned about. It was really dangerous work, and the casualty rate was very high.
5: So for the men who'd survived, how did they do it?
2: Perseverance, you know. When you were torpedoed on a ship, sometimes you were lucky. Sometimes very easy. Some people would get torpedoed, and they'd get into a lifeboat and get picked right up and never get their feet wet. But other people went through these terrible ordeals. You know, they were literally people that were attacked by... The sharks and who drowned, froze to death and drowned in rough seas, you know, huge waves. And sometimes the oil would fill on the water and catch on fire and create these flaming oil slicks and people would die. But some of these guys would survive over and over again. There's a, a guy mentioned in the book that survived being torpedoed 10 times and went right back out. You know, when he got back, he would spend uh, 30 days, you could recuperate, and then you had to be out on another ship where you could be drafted.
5: They were fearless.
2: <laughs> they were.
5: General Dwight D. Eisenhower said, quote, there's no organization that will share its credit more deservedly than the Merchant Marine. I assume you agree with that?
2: They certainly deserve the credit. I'm not sure they really got, they ended up not getting much credit. But yeah, they certainly deserved it. They were responsible. These guys, uh, I think, were sort of left out. of History books and the government benefits and everything. So it was a sad story for them, but they still took part in it.
5: Well, they're getting some credit now because of your book.
2: Yeah. I mean, hopefully the book will help people see what these guys did.
5: William Jarrell, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks for your time.
0: The candidates for U.S. Senate in Virginia will be the first names you see on your ballot in November. The top of an electoral ticket can impact local races down ballot. And while that coattail effect usually gets more attention in presidential election years— this year in Virginia, one controversial Senate candidate could have an impact on tight house races in our area. Virginia Public Radio's Mallory No Payne reports.
3: It's a summer night on the campus of Virginia Union University, a historically black college in Richmond. Senate candidate Republican Cory Stewart has already made it through an hour of tough questions when local radio host Gary Flowers wraps up with a zinger. Mr. Stewart.
1: How do you
5: expect to represent all Virginians when you accept the support from
3: neo-Confederates? Stewart has proudly campaigned on preserving Confederate monuments, once with the help of Jason Kessler, one of the organizers of the Unite the Right rally. Stewart said it occurred before he knew what Kessler was about. Speaking after the forum, Stewart says he doesn't focus on what he can't control.
2: I speak my mind uh, and some people, you know, are, are afraid of controversy and they run for the hills at the first chance that somebody talks about something that's controversial. I'm not like that.
3: Stephanie Shepard supports Stewart's opponent, Democrat Tim Kaine, who has consistently pulled more than 16 points ahead of Stewart. Do you think Stewart poses a threat to Kaine? I do not. No, I do not. <laughs> Do not. Period. Full stop. Nationally, Republicans have also written the race off. Stewart hasn't gotten support from the campaign arm of the Senate GOP. And many of Virginia's Republican congressional candidates have opted not to join Stewart on the campaign trail. Then there are Virginia voters.
0: Stewart is only collecting about 80% of the people who identify as Republicans.
3: Stephen Farnsworth is a professor of political science at the University of Mary Washington.
0: And that lower level of support for Corey Stewart may mean that some Republicans will stay home. It may mean that some Republicans won't donate money. It means that some Republicans won't show up uh, to knock on doors.
3: And with four tight congressional races in Virginia, every door knocked, every call made, and every dollar spent could make the difference.
0: And so if those efforts aren't happening for the Senate candidate, that means the congressional candidate has to work all that much harder to make up for uh, what could have been a more effective coordinated effort.
3: One of those tight races is Virginia's fifth district, covering much of central Virginia. (laughs) A recent debate between Democrat Leslie Coburn and Republican Denver Riggleman was held in a high school auditorium in Madison County. The room was filled with a mix of local farmers and Democratic activists from Charlottesville. Riggleman says the Stewart campaign has no impact on him, negatively or positively.
0: Corey's on the trail with me, great, you know, but right now I just see with his his busy schedule he's not going to be able to do that.
3: Other Republican candidates have taken a similar stance or just been silent on the issue. Still, Stewart did win his party's nomination and came close last year to winning the gubernatorial nomination, hinting at a strong core of support. Jim Smith is vice chair of the Madison County Republican Committee.
4: Corey's rock solid. He's got some bad ink, some bad press. I mean, you sit one-on-one with Corey and he's a champion for individual liberty. And that's really what we should be all about.
3: Smith shrugs off the idea that Stewart's unpopularity could affect other races. When he's knocking doors and people ask for yard signs, he says they ask for both. Denver Riggleman, and Corey Stewart. In Madison, I'm Mallory Nopain.
0: Support for WMRA's News and Information Fund, which makes our award-winning coverage possible, is provided by Bib and Dolly Frazier, Les and Johnny Grady, Klein May Realty, Eugene Stoltzfus Architects, Joy Loving, Janet Tretner, Nancy Barber, Pam and Jim Huggins, an anonymous donor and by a grant from a donor advised fund of the Community Foundation of Harrisonburg in Rockingham County. You'll find all our stories archived at wmra.org. To support local news on wmra, go to the website, mouse over news, then click on news and information fund. And while there, won't you please take a moment and respond to a listener survey? We want to know what you think about Second Look, the wmra daily podcast, our local news and our More News, Less Noise fundraising. It'll only take you a few minutes. Help us do a better job of serving you. The survey is on our homepage at WMRA.org. I'm Bob Levicki, WMRA's news director and Morning Edition host. I'll talk to you in the morning. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday.